HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. Broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Another Thursday, it's one o'clock, and you have tuned into the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to the Farm Report, and I am your host, Erin Fairbanks. We are coming to you live from the back of Roberta's Pizza in beautiful Bushwick, Brooklyn, and we are continuing our series on growing beer. And today we have a full lineup of guests. We're going to start the show off with Carrie Blackmore of Good Nature Brewing. Carrie, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Erin. It's great to have you on. So we first met uh, about a month ago, I guess, up at the Belgian Comes to Cooperstown, the big Belgian beer festival up in uh, Cooperstown at the Omegang Brewery. And you stuck out for a couple of reasons. One, because you're one of the few uh, female brewery owners standing behind a tasting table. And two, um, because as we started to chat, you are one of the few, if not the only breweries that's doing uh, their production primarily from regionally sourced uh, grains and hops. Is that right? Correct. Awesome. So let's get a little bit of background on Good Nature. You guys have been brewing beer for how long? Well, we actually only opened up shop here in Hamilton uh, last January. So we are a brand new company. We haven't even had our doors open for a year. Um we have been homebrewing, and I shouldn't say we, I actually have not been homebrewing all that long, but my partner Matt has about seven or eight years of homebrewing experience before we opened up shop. Uh, the whole project uh, has been in the works since probably about summer or fall of 2010, I believe. And and why beer? I mean, it's a big jump to go from, you know, brewing a little bit for, for home consumption into uh, opening like a full-scale brewery, especially one that's kind of trying to do as many innovative things as you guys are. Well, it's a good question. Uh, <laughs> it definitely was a big jump from five-gallon batches, you know, it, in the kitchen to, uh, to what we do here now. Um, Honestly, it, it, the industry is booming right now. It seemed like a good thing to get into. And uh, actually, primarily, 
we decided to go this route because we could, uh, because we had the ability uh, to source a lot of our raw materials uh, locally or regionally. So, you know, we've learned in, in recent episodes of the show that the primary ingredients for beer are grains, usually barley, but a multitude of grains can be used. Hops, obviously, water, and yeast. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, when you guys got started, where did you look to to buy hops and to buy the, the barley or the malted barley? Well, there are actually um, not a lot of options out there for New York State brewers who are aiming to, uh, to even source from, from New York State, to be honest. So it's not exactly an easy feat. Uh, one reason we're able to do it is, is simply our scale. We're, we're an absolutely tiny brewery uh, for folks out there who, uh, and, and maybe uh, I, I will admit I've only gotten to listen to the show that you did, uh, part of the show that you did with uh, Andrea from Valley Mall. Uh, so I don't know if you've talked about um, sort of units of measure. We're, we brew on a seven-barrel system, so we're absolutely tiny. Um, the other reason we're lucky and able to source locally is because we have a fabulous hops farm, and I understand Kate and or Larry were on the show as well from Foothill Hops in Munsell. So they're, I don't even think they're 10 miles from, from our front door. And so their existence uh, is part of why we're able to do what we do. They're, uh, they supply us with probably 95% of the hops that we use here. Uh, now, the grains are, are also tricky. Uh, the only New York State grains that we can purchase, that we're even able to purchase, are from Valley Malt in Hadley, Mass. And that sounds a little strange because uh, they're malted in Massachusetts. They are grown in New York State, and she uh, sets aside uh, specifically New York State-grown grains for us. That's that's great. And, I, I mean, that's essentially because when you're making beer, you want to use the, the malted grains and... Is it, I'm correct that there's no there's no maltery currently in New York State. I know we had um, Dave from Empire Brew and the New York Brewers Association on last week, um, and that there are a few kind of spots in the works. But right now, Valley Malt's really the only regional maltery. Is that correct? Yep. So far as I know, so far as I know, uh, which makes it exceedingly difficult because they are an absolutely tiny company as well. Well, I think it's like one of those things. It's like anyone at the at the beginning, any in, innovators, you know, it's rare that we start out on a huge production chain. So it's nice to kind of get in there. And in many ways, like your kind of operation shows the, the I guess, the areas where this grain production, this hops production and the infrastructure that's necessary for for beer production, where the gaps in that system are and where there's opportunities for new business owners or for more farmers to kind of come in and take part in that market. One of the things I thought was interesting is you guys, you know, you mentioned that you're a, se- a seven barrel system, but you also on your website take a, take a moment to note that you're all electric. And I was curious as to, is there something special about that or, or why would you highlight that facet of your operation? Well, we... When we first opened, we initially opened on a two-barrel system, uh, which was also an electric system, um, which is a little bit more common. A, a seven-barrel all-electric system is a little bit unusual. Uh, there, there really aren't a lot out there, and so we like to highlight that uh, primarily just because it's, it's interesting. Um, but also, it is for us. Uh, it's a lot cleaner. We're not having to deal with propane, and it actually made our startup cost a lot lower because we've literally got uh, 
immersion elements, giant immersion elements in our tanks, and that's, uh, that's how we're brewing. Um, it's also nice for us here because our, well, for two reasons. In, in the village of Hamilton, we're actually on an electric co-op, so our electricity is very, very cheap, um, and that's because it's coming from hydroelectric power. So it all just kind of made sense for us. We like that it's clean energy instead of burning propane, uh, and of course, it, it helps our bank account as well. That makes sense. So, you know, we've talked with Andrea, we've talked a lot about uh, the multi end of things. I'm curious, when you are looking to purchase grains, do you work with a farmer and then they send their grains to Andrea and then you buy them? Or do you just say to Andrea, we only want stuff that's grown in New York State? I mean, how close to those, decision ma- th- those decisions are you? And is it you who has a relationship with farmers or does it come through her? We don't have the relationship with the actual barley and wheat growers, although we, we have met some of them who actually, who Andrea purchases from. Um, so we communicate with Andrea and she sends us, she sets aside uh, New York grains for us. And it's pretty cool. Like right on the invoice, we know exactly where it came from. That she tells us, you know, what, what town basically. Um, with the hops, it's a little bit different because we're literally working with our neighbors. Um, so we communicate directly to the farmers. We, uh, we've been to their farms. We're actually part of the Northeast uh, Hop Alliance that so we visited any number of farms in the area um, and region. Now I know so it's, a little, it's a little different probably than a lot of brewers are, are familiar with. Uh, I think generally brewers don't have any connection whatsoever uh, to their farmers because it's impossible. And it's, uh, it's very fun, but also sometimes challenging. Yeah. Well, I think like any type of food production, having a, uh connections all along the system it adds an extra layer of challenge but also I think can provide really interesting opportunities to explore uh, you know new relationships but also to push the industry forward and for the people actually consuming things to be able to share what they're looking for with the producers I think has a lot of value now I know with hops that most brewers are you know you're receiving them in, in the form of a, a pelletize now because you guys are so close do you work with fresh hops I know that there's a very short shelf life so how does the processing of the hops happen between you know its removal from the field and its entry to your barrels well, I mean, we do uh, brew with fresh hops when they're available, but as you said, there's just a very, very short window where that's even an option. So we actually uh, just brewed a couple weeks ago a, a wet hop IPA um, brewed with hops, actually not from Munsville, but from Bridgewater, which is which is not too far from us. Um, and actually, uh, a lot of our customers and friends and neighbors just kind of started bringing us hops that they'd harvested from their backyard. So we kind of threw caution to the wind and, and went crazy, and we're going to try to do that as an annual uh, harvest beer. Um, so he literally, the, the farmer just pulled up in a big pesky truck <laughs> with, uh, with mesh bags full of beautiful, green, uh, fresh hops. So once a year, we're lucky enough to be able to brew like that. Um, however, the rest of the year, we're working with a dry product, um, so Larry and Munzo, for instance, he, after harvest, um, they're dried, and then they, they can either go right into vacuum-sealed bags and can be flash-frozen, or he actually does have the ability to pelletize. Uh, we use a little bit of both. Uh, unfortunately, 
Um, we, we did try because we wanted, again, it was this uh, interesting thing where we care about Larry and we didn't want him to have to put so much labor uh, into processing for us. Uh, so we did try to brew with whole cone uh, hops when we got started, but unfortunately it's uh, it's pretty, uh, it takes its toll on the, on the system and mucks up the uh, a brew day pretty badly. So we will dry hop with some whole leaf hop. Um, but we primarily brew with with pelletized. Yeah, and that I mean that seems to be the industry standard. Well, I know you guys have only been kind of in operation for for a short time, but what do you anticipate with regards to seasonality? I mean, we are in the Northeast. There is a summer. There is a winter. So there's not you know year round production of hops or grains. So how do you anticipate dealing with uh, your sourcing throughout the winter months? Are you going to be able to put enough aside, or what will that look like? Well, luckily, again, because we're such a small operation, we don't we don't have a problem with that. In fact, uh, so most people in the industry they basically contract their hops uh, with West Coast growers or or uh, you know basically a, a bunch of growers, and they say this is what I'm going to need for the year, um, and they're locked in, so they estimate what they're going to use. We do that too, just not with West Coast growers, um, and there's no actual contract. We, we're small enough that we basically call up Larry Fisher on the phone and say, hey, Larry, um, how's your harvest looking right now? This is probably what we're going to need, this much of this variety, this much of that variety. Um, so we're, and that's kind of the, that's what we were doing back in uh, August, was kind of figuring out what our needs were going to be for the year and calling up growers in the area. Okay, so why do you, I mean, you your size obviously sets you apart. Um, what do you think are if any, are other reasons why there aren't more brewers kind of pursuing this? Or is it kind of an up-and-coming opportunity that you see soon there'll be more people looking to brew with regionally produced goods? I get the impression, uh, you know, because brewers, of course, care a lot about quality and freshness. Uh, I get the impression that if they could, uh, any brewer would want to, uh, to support their ingredients as close to home as possible. Unfortunately, you've got two major issues. One is uh, a huge one, availability. It's not there. Like we were mentioning, Valley Malt, that's the only malt house in the Northeast so far as I know, and uh, that's the only place you can get New York State grown grain. Not only is she tiny, um, but there aren't growers to sustain any more than she's probably already doing. Um, the other issue, uh, and then same with the hops. So the other issue uh, is, is price. Um, I, we pay more than twice per pound for our hops that come from 10 miles away than we would have to pay if we ordered them uh, from out west and had them shipped across the country, and that includes shipping. Wow. So how so does that reflect? Yeah. The, how does that reflect in the cost of your beer for the consumer? Well, our price point is, is high. Um, at our place, usually for a standard half gallon growler fill, you're looking at twelve, you know, twelve to fourteen dollars for a fill, and then uh, we have one beer that actually goes for fifteen dollars a fill. Our wet hop will go for sixteen dollars a fill. So that we're, our price point is a lot higher than other microbreweries out there. And again, part of that is because of our size. We're ordering in a smaller. You know, we're not ordering the volume that the bigger people are, um, but our costs are just much, much higher. Buying, buying malt from Valley Malt doesn't cost what it costs to order, uh, you know, breeze malt through uh, 
you know, through a, through a big company, we're talking a lot more per pound. So that is reflected in the cost of the beer. We, our goal has been to try and get some of the wholesale prices down a little bit because uh, that's, you know, we're a microbrewery. We're hoping that that's the bulk of our business. And unfortunately, especially uh, when we first opened, everybody wanted to carry our beer, bars and restaurants all over the place. But unfortunately, when they saw the price tag, it scared them a little bit, especially I know in, in New York, uh, you know, seven bucks for a pint is cheap. But here in central New York, seven bucks for a pint is is robbery. So you rarely the fancy beers, <laughs> you go into a bar around here and get a craft beer. Five dollars a pint is uh, is pretty standard for uh, for a craft beer. Well, it makes me want to get so. in my car and take a little bit of a trip. <laughs> Um, it's, it's, it's fantastic, but so we have had to lower those wholesale prices, and unfortunately, we have we've had to keep our retail prices higher to offset to offset the fact that our wholesale prices are, are kind of more in the ballpark these days. Um, also, the cost. So the nor'easter actually is is kind of our specialty ale. That's the one. That's one that we do year round, and it's brewed with 100% New York State grown ingredients. So all the Valley Malt Malt and, of course, all the hopsters are coming from Munsville. It's also a very hoppy beer, and it's 8.2%. So it takes, it takes more ingredients to make the same volume, and uh, it's, just a, it's just a pricey beer. It also takes longer to make. So we're, we're actually, we have to kind of amortize the cost of making that beer by charging more for growler sales of all of our other beers. So that's kind of where we're at. You're balancing and you know it across. I think it's the right thing to do. It's our it's our biggest selling beer. People really value that we're even attempting to do it. It's very very challenging. Wow. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Carrie. Uh, if you want to learn more about uh, Carrie and Matt's work up at Good Nature Brewing, you can visit them on their website www.goodnaturebrewing.com. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll be on the line with Paul Duglokensky, oh my gosh, uh, of Blind Pat Brewery, and we'll learn the correct pronunciation of his name and a lot more about local beer, so stay tuned. There's a lot of things Like the river had its way With old bear drowning In place In place Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. I've devoted my idiot career to the old ways, the old recipes, the old tools, the old geography of where serious foods come from for centuries. And I've strived to make these wonderful things available to New Yorkers for 37 years. So it's a fait accompli for us to support Heritage Radio Network. And I hope you will too, and I hope you'll keep tuning in. For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. This crowd and all this dirt. If I could just bring with me one thing, and that's love, 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 love. love.
We are back. You are tuned into the Heritage Radio Network and you're listening to the Farm Report. I'm your host, Aaron Fairbanks, and we are continuing our series on growing beer. Want to give a quick shout out for that extended musical break. That was my cousin, Sarah Keen, on vocals. Check them out. It's the Four Lincolns. And now we are on the line with Paul of Blind Bat Brewery. Paul, I massacred your name, your last name. Yeah, nope. so give, yeah, no problem. That <laughs> happens. Yeah, Delugo Kensky. Delug- How are you, Aaron? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Welcome to the show. So you are another uh, brewer in New York State out in Centerpoint, Long Island, who is looking at how to produce a beer with uh, more regionally produced products. And I, my understanding of words that aren't uh, words, the correct terminology, I guess, for something that's not uh, the barley, the yeast, the hops, the water, the kind of core components of a beer is an adjunct. But I, I guess that word also has somewhat of a negative connotation. So I want to clear up kind of what's the language uh, that we should be using for additional things that you might add to beer, like, you know, honey or other aromatics or in your case, potatoes. Um, well, yeah, I mean, adjunct does have a negative connotation thanks to uh, the macro brewers such as uh, Budweiser. They had uh, corn and rice to their beer, but uh, I hadn't thought of what the, you know, of an alternate term. Uh, it, it's a lot like cooking. So if you think about adding different spices and seasonings, et cetera, um, I mean, that, that's the way I think of it. Um, and sometimes it's uh, things that are a little more traditionally that have been used in brewing for hundreds of years, such as coriander, um, which I, I use in a couple of beers, um, maple syrup, uh, which I uh, get great bee maple syrup from Vermont for my Belfry Brown Ale. Honey is kind of a an older ingredient that had been used for maybe even thousands, if not hundreds of years. Um, I get that from my honey and basil ale from a combination of co- a local uh, beekeeper, Rich Bloom in Huntington, um, a little bit from him, and then he's hooked me up with some folks up in the Catskills. But also for the honey and basil ale, I use uh, organic sweet basil grown by my wife, who uh, Regina, who happens to be an organic grower and farmer. She's been a farmer on a couple of farms here on Long Island. Our ultimate goal is to establish a farm brewery uh, for Blind Bat to combine both our efforts. But right now we don't have our own land, so she uses some it's a borrowed land to grow uh, a number of things, including the potatoes, which you had mentioned for the Long Island potato stout. And I use, uh, I've been using Chuka Gold as a type of potato for that. And uh, just playing around as a you know, home brewer style, I, I tried adding potatoes to the mash of a dry um, Irish stout recipe, and it actually helped dry it out further. So it, it produces an extra dry, dry stout. And in the past, we've used potatoes from Sang Lee Farms in Peconic, Sylvester Manor Farm from Shelter Island, so basically all Long Island potatoes and uh, organic uh, Long Island potatoes. Nice. Uh, it's also growing. I'm sorry. I said I know. It's oh, just... it's also... <laughs> Sounds <Yeah>. delicious. <laughs> yeah, my wife's actually experimenting with uh, using sweet potatoes for a saison. Uh, everybody's doing pumpkin ales this time of year, and for November, we're hoping to come out with a sweet potato saison. And uh, I should also, by November, have my Long Island oyster stout out um, using local oysters. So it, it's using a lot of this different local ingredients, some 
traditional, such as honey or coriander, some non-traditional. Uh, we're also working on uh, something using Thai basil that is inspired from an idea by, um, by Len Thompson, who's a wine blogger out on Long Island. He's also the editor of New York Cork Report. He had an idea for a, a Thai PA, so it's basically an IPA, but using uh, some you know, ingredients used in Thai cooking. So again, back to using spices and seasonings just like cooking, uh, something else that you can do with beer. Nice. So yeah, we were just on the line with Carrie Blackmore of Good Nature Brewing, you know, up in Hamilton, New York. And one of the things mm-hmm. that kind of kept coming out through our conversation is they're able to to do a beer with uh, predominantly or all uh, regionally sourced stuff because they're a very small brewery. And you guys mm-hmm. are too. I mean, how how much beer are you brewing? Uh, yeah, I'm basically still consider at this point a nano brewery, which is even smaller than micro brewery, which is kind of an outdated term. I think the preferred term is craft brewery. Um, I got licensed four years ago, but it's still a part-time endeavor, um, working to doing it full-time at a bigger scale sometime next year. But I can brew 93 gallons at a time. I originally was brewing when I first got licensed just 10 gallons at a time. 93 gallons is the equivalent of three barrels, a barrel being 31 gallons. So I can brew larger batches than I used to, but my schedule of brewing is somewhat infrequent, only maybe twice a month. So I'm really not outputting a lot of beer, um, maybe 50 to 60 barrels a year. But it does, being a small size, does uh, give you some more flexibility towards experimentation, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, so in your like dream world where you have a magic wand and create a, a parcel of affordable farmland uh, yeah. and infrastructure on Long Island, how, I mean, what do you think would be the right size brewery for you to kind of continue exploring uh, unique varieties, but also to increase your production to have some of those varieties be a little bit more regularly available? What, I'm, what I've been looking at and working on... Um Planning for the 10-barrel system, uh, 10 barrels seems to be the, the sweet spot. And then, of course, with an increased drink schedule, I'd be able to produce more beer. But I'm going to keep the uh, the two smaller systems, the 10-gallon and the, uh, the three-barrel system, to continue to do experimental batches of things. And then if something really, you know, becomes a bit of uh, something more people looking for, then I can brew it on the larger system. Nice. So I know that I know from your website, which is blindbatbrewery.com, that you can sometimes find your beers at Jimmy's number 43. Jimmy's uh, hosts the Beer Sessions Radio here on the Heritage Radio Network. Also, mm-hmm. if you are a member of the Heritage Radio Network and you go to Jimmy's and you show your membership card, you can get a dollar off. And that would be how I would first recommend people getting a their hands on some blind bat, but you also sell at farmers markets. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about how you decided to pursue that outlet and and how you're allowed to do that at some markets versus others where maybe that wouldn't be uh, allowed. Um, well, uh, for years and years, New York State winemakers have been able to sell at farmers markets. Only last year were the laws in the state um, uh, you know changed so that. Small brewers, small craft breweries uh, in New York State can sell at farmers markets. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, a big fan of farmers markets, so it was a no-brainer. There's one in Northport, one town over that I started selling at last year. I'm there this year also. Uh, and then on the south shore of Long Island, in a little village called Babylon, there's a market that started up there. Then a couple of winter markets, and 
that's something I want to continue even once I'm up and running in the bigger uh, mode. Um, but what's great about farmer's markets is you've got people coming to the market who are not necessarily coming for beer. It's not your typical beer geek um, population. It's, it's foodies. It's locavores. Um, so it, it's a natural fit. You know, people will be buying things that they'll, uh, some organic vegetables or uh, other things, and then they'll see the beer and they'll, they'll try that and, uh, you know, put together a menu for, the, for that weekend with uh, things that they picked up at the market. Nice. Now, I know because uh, one of your primary growers is your wife that you guys have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a pretty intimate connection. So I'm um, just curious, uh, do you plan on um, producing your own grains or hops or how do regionally produced grains or hops work their way into your beer now or how do you hope that they will in the future? Uh, currently, we're growing a very uh, small amount of hops, um, a little bit uh, at this point. I would definitely would like to expand that. There are also... Uh, a couple of farmers here on Long Island, um, uh, Condoleezza Farms out in Wading River, he's been starting to, he really invested in a big way this year. He's been putting out a lot of hops. Uh, a number of brewers have been using it. Blue Point, I think, is brewing uh, with his hops this week. Port Jeff Brewery brewed uh, with his hops, and uh, did Long Ireland Brewery out in Riverhead. Um, they've all been doing these fresh hop ales, which is uh, something you do if you're closer to a hop grower, um, the fresh hop. Nice. Uh, IPAs usually. Um, so we definitely would like to increase that. Um, grain, there's, there's not really much in the way of barley or wheat grown here on the island. And uh, I think as, as David from uh, Empire Brewing and the New York State Brewers Association explained last week, that's something that's being uh, hopefully going to be growing in New York State in the next couple of years. Uh, hopefully we'll get some maltsters established in New York State. I know there's the, uh, the, the wonderful maltsters in Massachusetts. But uh, if we can make use of... Um, New York and or local barley and uh, wheat, that, that would be a wonderful thing. Awesome. Well, we are going to hear a little bit more about the future of grain production in New York. Um, so sit tight. Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Um, thank you. Again, if you want to find out more about Paul's operation or find out where to find some of his beers, if you're not going to swing over to Jimmy's for those dollar off pints, you can find him at blindbatbrewery.com. Stay tuned. We'll be back in a moment with June Russell, the ins- who heads up the inspection department for New York City Green Markets. We are back. 
You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network. You're tuned into the Farm Report, and I'm your host, Aaron Fairbanks. We are on the line with June Russell, who heads up the inspection department for New York City's Green Markets. But today we're going to talk to her a little bit about the other hat she wears, doing strategic development work for the organization. Now, June, you have uh, been in charge of the Regional Grains Project, and I was hoping you would give us uh, a, a brief history of that and, and talk a little bit about how beer fits into that uh, grain work that you've been doing. Sure. Um, originally, we were looking for flour for our bakers, and so that's where our involvement with grains and what's turned into a big initiative for us uh, began. And, and those conversations started in the early, like 2004, but... Um, when I got my job or this position, I picked that those questions up in about 2007, and we were looking for anybody who's doing anything with grains and flour. And there were there's not much happening, um, but we did find some people who are growing in Vermont and uh, a little bit in New York State, but mostly for animal feed. Not much was going into uh, grains that we would have for human consumption. Um, and then there were some research projects happening with a uh, Northeast Air-funded project called the Heritage Grains Project, and Cornell and uh, one of my main partners, Elizabeth Dick, who's been uh, worked with NOFA and who now has an organic grains research uh, network. Um, and so it's really evolved. Uh, about three years ago, we really brainstormed, because at Green Market we uh, provide markets for farmers, and so... We're looking for marketing opportunities for our farmers as well. And, you know, if we're going to rebuild a grain system in the Northeast, you have to have multiple markets for for your growers. So uh, we called a meeting and we brought in bakers and pasta makers and distilleries and we tried to engage our brewers, but it was like this black hole almost because everybody was buying malt from Europe, and, and they still are, um, and that's, probably going to be the case for a while. It's going to take a while to build up the system. Um, but just the fact that now it's entered the conversation is, is really exciting, and it's a great opportunity for our grain growers who are, who are really working to um, on a steep learning curve, as, as everybody is, and how, how do we introduce these grains back into the region? We've lost our seed heritage. We've lost our, you know, all the things around small and medium scale, uh, equipment and processing has been um, gone from our region for quite a while, especially with grains. Um, I was listening into your show with your um, previous guests, and Terry had mentioned some of the barriers, and those are all things that we're trying to address: it's the availability and you know working with growers. NOFA has been doing lots of programs to teach farmers how to grow grains, working on sharing equipment, um, and then you know sharing these different models where. Uh, Certainly, Valley Malt is, is groundbreaking. There are interp- entrepreneurs who stepped in at, at the perfect time to help us grow this out, and they're willing to teach other people how to be maltsters. So we do expect to see more of that going forward, but just to even have this in the conversation is really big for us. Yeah, it's exciting stuff. So I know you guys have a new Facebook page so people can find you, uh, the Regional Grains project through Facebook, and they can also find you by visiting uh, the GrowNYC.org website. And I just before we before we let you off the line, I know that the green markets now have um, some beer available at a few of the markets, and maybe you could give a shout out to where people can, can look for that. 
Sure. Right now, we just um, we only have Tundra Brewery, and he's at Union Square and at Grand Army. Um, but hopefully, with the you know the new uh, New York Farm Brewers license, we'll see more of that. And and I think we're going to get some really fun and, and interesting beers out of that coming out of the of the small malt houses who are working with some of the grains that our growers are producing. And um, so we're uh, he's the only one right now because. He is from a farm that has the capacity to grow their own barley, and uh, and he was working on some sorghum, I think, sorghum beer. Awesome. Cool. So check yep. that out. Thank you so much for joining us, June. So that has been the Growing Beer uh, series here on the Farm Report. I think it's been super interesting for me. I hope you've also found it interesting. I think we'll probably revisit this issue and look at other um, beverages as agricultural products, talk a little bit more into wine and spirits. So stay tuned for that. Um, You can find out more about what's happening at at Grow NYC and the Green Markets by staying tuned for the Green Market Update, which will be happening right after the show. Until then, you should know that all episodes of programs on the Heritage Radio Network are available through our website, www.heritageradionetwork.org. You can also find everything archived um, and available for a free podcast download through iTunes. We're also on Stitcher. We hope you, uh, you know, if you like what you hear, become a member. It's 60 bucks and entitles you to inflated social status in addition to a slew of benefits around town. So tune in next Thursday. We're going to hear from Will Harris, one of the station's longtime sponsors, about his operation, White Oak Pastures, down in Georgia. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. What's hot at the green market? You're about to find out now. It's the Grow NYC Market Update. Oh man, time flies when you're having fun at the green market. We are on the phone with Liz Carollo, who's the publicity manager for the green market. Liz, give us the scoop. What's happening at the market these days? Hey, Erin. Well, everybody felt that little bit, tiny little bit of a cold snap this week, or at least a dip in the temperatures, which was uh, a welcome relief, because I think everybody was getting kind of loopy with the heat, especially out at markets. So um, that means that the cold weather is coming soon, and a lot of the summer produce is going to be out. But that's okay, because that means a lot of new um, varieties and new produce is coming in. I spied Brussels sprouts this week, and, um, you know, the diehards won't eat them until after the first frost. The frost does definitely improve the flavor and sweetness um, of the Brussels, but I know myself and a lot of people in this office and out at market can't wait for the first frost and we'll be gobbling them up before then. Um, And then all kinds of winter squash, kabocha, butternut, acorn, delicata, red curry, spaghetti, all starting to arrive um, and really exciting to see them because of their shapes and colors and really their representation of fall and, and everything to come. Um, so I want to talk about something not to miss. They're going to be out soon. So beans, um, the dry beans will stay at the market through the winter, but the fresh beans, the, um, limas, cranberry, Jacob's cattle, black cocoa, they all have really fun, uh, varietal names. Um, 
there are just a few of delicious and beautiful varieties of fresh and shelled beans we have available. Um, they're an incredible accompaniment to the dishes you're already preparing at home for lunch and dinner on top of salads and um, with all your market veg. And uh, really, if you've only eaten store-bought dry beans or shell beans, for that matter, or fresh shell beans, um, the taste is a revelation. It is a completely different flavor, and, and they're so good for you. So um, also, if you get those at the market, don't soak them. Even the dried beans, they really, um, they're still so fresh that they don't require a lot of soaking, the overnight soaking thing. No, you just have to cook them in some really tasty stock and um, in about a half hour, 45 minutes, and you'll have your dish ready. Um, yeah, sounds good, huh? And then coming up is fall broccoli, Rob. So this bitter green you see in Italian dishes a lot is really famous for its spring debut, and it's kind of the harbinger of spring, but um, it shows up again in the fall sometimes, and um, it's I, I look for it because I can't get enough of it in the spring and then um, want to eat more of it in the fall before heading into winter. So, yeah, it's a really good one. Awesome. So uh, what about, I know that it's the Jewish holiday. Will, will there be anything at the market, you know, regarding the new year? Yeah, so we celebrate Rosh Hashanah. We had actually a um, neighborhood uh, temple come out near Union Square last week and give out information and apples and honey. Um, but we want to encourage everyone out there celebrating Rosh Hashanah starting this Sunday that... Um, to buy their ingredients at the market. So brisket, chicken, yams, potatoes, onions, cabbage, chicken stock, herbs, apples, pears, and honey, um, all available. So um, our boss, our director of Green Market, Michael, celebrates Rosh Hashanah, and um, so we've we've been hearing about his menu all week. So I felt the need to um, wish everyone out there a Shana Tova and, um, you know, hope that everyone has a nice holiday weekend. That's awesome. Uh, what about other happenings at the market? Any events going on this week? Yeah, so much fun stuff. So the Sunnyside Green Market in Queens um, will have a late summer, early early fall, I guess now, early fall clam bake with American Seafood. American Seafood um, is a fisherman that sells there. They fish out of the mid-Atlantic waters, um, just like all of the Green Market fishermen. Um, so they'll have a clam bake there. Everything's free and open to the public, so it should be tasty. Um, we're partnering with Our Goods. So Our Goods is a community of artists, designers, cultural producers who want to barter skills, spaces, and objects. So they have an online site that's really user-friendly and great to use, and they encourage individuals to kind of sign up, um, say what they can offer to the bartering community, and then see the kinds of things that they would want to exchange for. Um, so Our Goods is hosting. It's the second year. Last year it was really successful. Um, Greenhorns comes in and does all the decor for the event, uh, and they host a big free dinner. It's open to the public. It's in the Union Square Park House at the north end of Union Square, um, and it's from 4 to 6 on Saturday. Um, and then we're going to do some upcoming book signings with Robin Schulman, who wrote uh, Eat This City, and Chef Mona Talbot, um, who will be at, actually at Union Square this weekend. So um, all kinds of book signings coming up. And actually on Sunday, I'm really excited about this one. We're doing a burger cook-off um, 
with State Senator Daniel Squadron as he squares off against City Council Member Brad Lander um, in a grass-fed burger cook-off. We're going to get grass-fed beef from Grayson Angus Acres, and um, this is the first time we've had politicians out cooking in the market and uh, going up against each other for a kind of an Iron Chef-type cook-off, so I think it'll be really fun. That sounds awesome, a little burger smackdown. So you heard it here first. Folks, get to the market, get your fresh beans, uh, a revelation in fresh bean flavor. Uh, be on the lookout for Brussels sprouts if you can't wait till after the frost. You don't have to. They're here now. And I'm super excited about the broccoli rob. I know I try and get in as many fresh greens before the winter months as possible. If you want to learn more about what's happening at the markets, you can visit grownyc.org backslash our markets to find out more info on cooking demos, book signings, giveaways, and everything that's happening each week in your own neighborhood green market. Um, If you want more volunteer opportunities or info on farmers, that's all there, too. You can uh, follow them on Twitter to get the update on the latest and greatest. It's at UNSQ Green Market and at NYC Green Markets. Liz, thanks for joining us, and we look forward to hearing what's going on next week. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.